Welcome to a special episode of the Wednesday Conversation. Hey listeners, it's a fifth Wednesday. And oftentimes on a fifth Wednesday, we release a episode from the archives and revisit something we've talked about before. But on this fifth Wednesday, I wanna offer a Wednesday Conversation commentary. Commentaries by nature are an editorial perspective, and so I don't speak for the Wednesday conversation or for every person on it, but I do want to offer uh, some thoughts, some editorial perspectives, some reflections, looking back with the benefit of hindsight on the COVID pandemic. You're like, oh no, I don't want to revisit that. I suspect none of us want to revisit those days. We're glad they're over. We all want to move on. We'd rather not think about the COVID-19 pandemic any longer. And yet, we should. And the reason we should is because we have some things to learn. Hindsight is 2020, as they say. And in this case, hindsight exposes some key missteps. I think it's wise for us to learn from the past so we can avoid making the same mistakes in the future. And so I want to take a few minutes to look back, especially at the church's response during that pandemic. Now, Rest assured, friends, we're not going to stir up any hornet's nests. I know exactly zero pastors who would defend every decision they made or every position they took during the pandemic. All of us were doing the best we knew how with the available data, which is why now that the pandemic is behind us, we should embrace the freedom to look back and learn what we can. As leaders who believe the gospel and are secure in the grace of Jesus— We can, in fact, acknowledge our faults, admit our weaknesses, and accept responsibility for any areas where we might have failed to lead well. And the past few months have opened up some key opportunities for hindsight. Specifically, three studies released in February 2023 brought some new clarity to three disputed areas of pandemic response. Study number one, on February 16th, 2023, Almost three years after the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, British medical journal The Lancet published a meta-analysis of 65 medical studies from 19 countries. The data revealed what we all suspected. Once you've had COVID, your natural immunity provides as much protection against reinfection as two doses of Pfizer's COVID vaccine. In other words, the science has now confirmed what your mother always told you. In a rebuke to both left and right, this study confirming natural immunity was partially funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. How's that for exploding everybody's conspiracy theories? Study number two. Around the same time as that Lancet study, another London think tank looked at 78 studies having to do with physical COVID interventions, including 18 studies focused solely on community masking. The lead author of that study stated plainly, there is just no evidence that masks make any difference. Now, remember, he's not speaking to the question of whether wearing a mask makes a particular individual less contagious, but whether community masking is effective as a broad public health intervention. Study number three, also in February, both the FBI and the U.S. Department of Energy went on the record confirming that the COVID virus likely emerged from a lab leak in Wuhan, China. Now, other government agencies still disagree with this assessment, and everyone agrees that we will probably never know for sure. These are educated guesses based on the analysis of the available intelligence. 
But still, the possibility of COVID emerging from a lab leak shines some new light on the dominant narratives that reigned throughout most of 2020 and 2021. So, I want to consider the ramifications of each of these studies for the church and its leaders. First, let's talk about natural immunity. In light of the finding published in The Lancet, it's fitting to revisit one of the most polarizing debates of 2021, the debate over vaccine mandates. In early 2021, employers and government agencies began mandating that employees receive the COVID vaccine. The mandates created a real existential crisis of conscience for many Christians. People in my church and your church and every church faced a decision. Would they obey their employer's demands to get vaccinated or would they refuse the vaccine and accept the consequences? Our approach to vaccines at Coramdea was to steer a middle way that honored freedom of conscience on all sides. We felt Jesus would be most exalted and our people would be most helped if we allowed each person to follow the dictates of his or her own conscience. We never once told people they should get vaccinated, nor did we take an official posture against vaccination. Our elders split down the middle in their own personal practice. Some received the vaccines, others didn't. I coached people on how to write their exemption letters, but I also declined to sign them on behalf of the church. And in the midst of it all, we lost members on both sides of the divide, which probably doesn't surprise any pastor hearing this. Some people left our church because we wouldn't sign their religious exemption forms. Others left because we wouldn't mandate vaccines. We were called both slaves of the right and puppets of the left. We were panned as libs and castigated as right-wingers. I think our approach was correct, and to this day, I'm thankful for the wisdom and insight of our elders in choosing this course. But as I look back with the benefit of hindsight, I do wish we had been more proactive in making one simple distinction, and that is this. Resistance to vaccination is not the same thing as resistance to forced vaccination. Were there people who refused vaccination because they got caught up in internet conspiracy theories? Well, of course there were. But many others simply resisted the coercion that they suddenly felt all around them. Many people had already had COVID and recovered, and they knew what we all learned in seventh grade. And what the Lancet study has once again affirmed, that natural immunity really does work. And yet because they resisted being coerced, to receive a vaccine they didn't need, they got branded as anti-vaxxers and conspiracy theorists and wingnuts. Now, I'm not saying anyone in our church called them that, but I am convinced that I didn't do enough as a pastor to help people reason through the many theological, moral, and existential factors in play. In a moment that called for more nuance, I allowed a flattened narrative to persist, and that was a failure of leadership. I became aware of this more clearly as I spoke recently with a woman in my own church who squared off with her own heavy-handed employer in 2021. I'm not confident that all of her objections to the vaccine were rooted in sound biblical reasoning and Christian wisdom, but I am confident that she is a professing believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and a part of the flock that Christ has called me to shepherd. And she was threatened with termination in 2021 if she would not get vaccinated. 
She lived through six months of fear over losing her job and her livelihood. She needed the prayers, the support, and the encouragement of her fellow Christians, even if they disagreed with her position. The problem I found out later was this. Everyone else in her small group was not only pro-vaccine, but evangelistic about it. The leaders would regularly begin the group by saying things like, make sure you all get vaccinated and let us know if you need a ride or childcare in order to do it. So she intelligently and quickly perceived that this group would probably not be a safe place to talk about her own struggles of conscience and hesitations. And so she remained quiet. She kept attending the group, but she never actually talked about the turmoil and tension she was facing in her own soul and at her workplace. And so it's no wonder that she felt isolated and alone. And I found all this out just a month or two ago on the backside of the pandemic a couple years later. Now, hearing her story made me understand my own missteps as a pastor. She said, it would have been nice for you to have a public forum or meeting where you could have taught on these things and we could have talked about them. What she was saying was, you could have pastored me better. And she's right. Her small group was not a safe place to process. And so she needed me as a pastor to create some kind of setting where we could have meaningful, intelligent, careful conversation about the issues involved. I'm owning my poor leadership in that area. And I hope other pastors will do the same. I think I did not do everything I could have to equip our church to think and reason through all the permutations and questions surrounding vaccines. Let's now talk about the second study, the one about the ineffectiveness of community masking. In a March 3rd editorial in The Atlantic, Derek Thompson asked his readers to be skeptical of the claim that community masking isn't effective as a public health intervention because, of course, how you wear a mask and what kind of mask it is matters greatly for effectiveness. But in my opinion, that's exactly the point. Since there's no possible way to ensure that every human being wears a mask properly, community masking is bound to be a losing strategy. Writes Thompson, I think it is reasonable to say that mask mandates probably reduce COVID in settings where high quality masks exist and social norms of mask wearing can be maintained. Okay, sure, Derek. Maybe there is some ideal world where everyone wears a KN95 and wear the mask police patrol every social gathering to ensure 100% compliance. But in the real world, that's not likely. And so mandatory masking ends up becoming a form of social control rather than a meaningful public health measure. Now, as Christians, we can debate whether churches were right to follow mask mandates or whether they should have resisted. That was one of the major debates within the Christian community, and it's a place we can agree to disagree. But what troubled me in this matter was the inability of Christians to distinguish between a prudential judgment and a moral one. A prudential judgment is one rooted in prudence or wisdom. Early in the pandemic, when the risk was still unknown, and when the major danger was that we would overwhelm hospital capacity, community masking was prudent. It was a wise way to act in light of the many unknowns. Many of the doctors and medical professionals in our own congregation reached out to me in those first weeks, 
urging me to embrace those early public health directives, even though they were admittedly rough and preliminary, because it was simply wise to do so. There was much we didn't know, and in light of that uncertainty, caution was warranted. But there came a tipping point when lots of people had been sick, and most of them had recovered, and the initial concerns about hospital capacity had subsided, when the prudential judgment shifted. It was starting to become clear that community masking wasn't really working that well, that it wasn't doing much to reduce spread, and that in any case, most people had become comfortable managing their own risk. Those who knew they were higher risk were staying at home. Those who were lower risk were moving back toward public life. And at that point, it was wise to relax masking policies both in the church and in the broader community. And yet for some Christians to change a policy on mask wearing to suggest that people didn't need to wear masks was to cross a moral threshold. I learned this firsthand in the fall of 2020 when the school board I sit on decided to return to in-person learning without requiring masks. Young children, after all, were the lowest possible risk group for COVID-19. And we were already starting to see data about the perils of remote learning for student well-being. And so our school board made a prudential judgment to go back to full in-person learning for the good of our students. Most people greatly appreciated that decision. But there were some who saw that decision not just as unwise, but as wrong. In their minds, we were failing to obey Jesus' command to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so what should have been a prudential judgment was turned into a moral one. I'd be very happy if one of the outcomes of this whole pandemic is to help Christians better learn the difference between issues of morality and issues of prudence. I'm fine with someone saying, I disagree with the decision you've made, or even, I don't think that's a prudent course of action. But when we put wearing a mask or not wearing a mask in the category of a moral absolute, we've made a category mistake. It may feel easier to treat masks as right or wrong, black or white, good or evil, but it's not good for us. It does not help us cultivate mature biblical wisdom. Let's talk now about the third study, the question of COVID's origins. As I said a few moments ago, we will likely never have 100% certainty on how COVID originated. The Chinese government has all kinds of incentive to ensure that remains shrouded in mystery. But the FBI now believes it's likely that COVID originated from a lab leak at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. If you wonder why many conservative people distrust major media outlets, look no further than this story. As you may recall, from the very beginning, there were intelligent people suggesting that a lab leak was an entirely plausible explanation for COVID's origins. And yet those people were lampooned, shamed, and shouted down in the mainstream media. Drew Holden is a journalist at the Free Beacon who's famous for keeping receipts and then posting long Twitter threads exposing the flip-flops and the hypocrisy of much mainstream journalism. On March 9th, 2023, he posted a thread on Twitter with screenshots of major headlines from 2020. Here are a few of them. From NPR, April 22nd, 2020. Scientists debunk lab accident theory of pandemic emergence. 
from the Washington Post 2020. Tom Cotton keeps repeating a coronavirus conspiracy theory that was already debunked. From NPR in December of 2020. A new poll finds 40% of respondents believe in a baseless conspiracy theory that the coronavirus was created in a lab in China. And here's a lead paragraph from the Associated Press in December of 2020. From speculation that the coronavirus was created in a lab to hoax cures, an overwhelming amount of false information clung to COVID-19 as it circled the globe in 2020. That article in the Associated Press went on to call the lab leak theory misinformation, a falsehood, and a myth. So let this sink in. What the FBI now says is the most likely explanation for coronavirus's origin, mainstream media outlets were calling a conspiracy theory, a hoax, a falsehood, and a claim debunked by the facts. Now ask yourself, why do people distrust the media? Why are many people skeptical of our scientific gatekeepers? Why is trust in institutions at an all-time low? Is it because of right-wing conspiracy mongers? Or does it have a completely rational, understandable, common-sense explanation? There's a subgroup of cranky Christian dissidents that I follow on the internet. They have a penchant for controversy, and they're a bit too trigger-happy for my liking. And yet, in this whole COVID debate, they've been making one point that I find quite valid. And that is, they've been arguing that the public voice of evangelical Christianity was almost uniformly favorable to government narratives about the pandemic. As one example among many, here's Francis Collins, a self-proclaimed evangelical Christian and the head of the National Institute of Health, in an October 2021 interview with CNN. Christians of all people are supposed to be particularly worried about their neighbors. And this is also a really critical situation where if you're not vaccinated, you may be the one spreading this virus to somebody vulnerable who can't necessarily resist it. So right. once again, uh, let me make a plea right here. <laughs> if you are a Christian or if you're anybody who has not yet gotten vaccinated, hit the reset button on whatever information you have that's causing you to be doubtful or hesitant or fearful and look at the evidence. The evidence is overwhelming. The vaccines are safe. They're effective. They can save your life. Later on in that very same interview, the interviewer asks Dr. Collins if mandates if employer mandates and government mandates are the right approach in order to end the pandemic. And here's what Francis Collins has to say. Um, are, are work mandates and school mandates the best way to combat this um, and to prevent future surges? Uh, what are your thoughts? Jim, I think they are. I was slow to come around to mandates. I really hoped we wouldn't have to go there because the evidence was so compelling. It was hard to imagine why people would turn down this opportunity. 
for something potentially life-saving. But we are in such a bad place in our country where truth doesn't seem to actually have as much influence as somebody's opinion or somebody's Facebook post. And if it takes mandates to get us past this, because the country isn't going to get past it with the current level of vaccination, then let's do the mandates. Uh, let's ask people uh, to do the right thing, even if it's not something that was quite the way I thought it would happen. I'm, I'm, I run an organization of federal employees. They're all going to have to be vaccinated by November 22nd or we're going to have rough conversations about letting people go. Now, in hindsight, in light of the study published in The Lancet, here's what I would want to say to Dr. Francis Collins. Actually, the science proves that everyone who had already had COVID at that point in time did not need to be vaccinated. And intuitively, many of us felt that, understood that, knew that about our bodies. And so the idea from a leading evangelical voice that vaccine mandates were the right way to go, I think now comes across to many people as mm, not sure that we should have gone there. Now, to give public figures like Francis Collins the benefit of the doubt, I suspect they were seeking to correct a tendency toward conspiratorial thinking that does exist within evangelical Christianity. So let's be honest. American evangelicalism has always had an anti-establishment, anti-intellectual sort of bent, and the pandemic brought out its worst impulses. The amount of crazy stuff I heard people in my own church say was troubling. Some of the emails I received and saved were sheer lunacy. I have them saved just so I can remind myself people actually were sending me these things. And yet, in their attempt to counter those voices, Christian public figures too easily embraced the official talking points about vaccines, about masks, and about COVID origins. They blithely dismissed alternative views as conspiracy or falsehood in ways that sound surprisingly similar to the Washington Post and NPR. For people who are supposed to be committed to the truth, Christian leaders were too easily conformed to the narrative, as the kids called it. The ease with which Christian leaders became megaphones for the administrative state deserves to be examined and critiqued. And those leaders who were on news media and podcasts making those claims should be open to that critique for the good of everyone. So, now that we're three years on from the start of the pandemic, we'd be wise to look back and learn what we can. And I think we're finally in a place where we have the peace and the freedom that it's okay to look back and have some of these conversations. Christians need to grow in critical thinking. And that means being critical both of the conspiratorial internet underworld and of the major news outlets and government agencies. A healthy biblical skepticism needs to run in both directions. At the risk of wading into yet another debate, you might say it this way. Christian public policy should in general be a third way that doesn't quite conform to the dominant narratives in either direction. Now that we're finally beyond the pandemic, let's learn from our mistakes. And let's develop that critical thinking ability. 
so that next time we can be more measured, more countercultural, and more helpful to God's people in their time of need. Thanks for listening to this special episode of the Wednesday Conversation. I'm Bob Thune, lead pastor at Cormdale Church. We have this conversation every Wednesday in order to talk about how the gospel of Jesus Christ connects to the questions and issues of everyday life. And as we always say, the goal of this podcast is really to equip our own church for discipleship and mission. And so we know there are those of you who are Christians or church leaders in other contexts beyond Omaha, Nebraska. And we thank you for listening in and pray that this conversation might be helpful to you as you minister in your context. We always love to hear from listeners. And so if you have thoughts, questions, agreements, disagreements, future podcast topics, feel free to send us an email, podcast at cbomaha.com. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time for another episode of the Wednesday Conversation.